Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to SALT, and Happy New Year to you all. I'm glad you guys have chosen to spend your Tuesday night here with us. If you're new, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at SALT, and I've had the privilege of being a leader here for many, many years. I think I'm pushing like eight years or something now at this point, not that I'm keeping track, but yeah. <laughs> probably older than most of you here, which is also very exciting. It's exciting to have a group of young adults gathered together with the purpose of intentionally living as Christians. Ultimately, that is why SALT exists. We recognize just how important it is for this age group in particular, that right out of high school, when you're faced with a lot of these questions in life, as you start thinking about what college am I gonna go to or school, start thinking about big questions like, who am I going to date or marry? Where am I thinking about going for a, a career pursuit? A lot of these big questions are the things that we are faced with in this particular age group. And we recognize that in a lot of churches, this age group is kind of neglected. And so at SALT, we want to be a place where we can really be encouraged in this, in this time of life, that we can have a community that is serious about following Jesus together and encouraging us in our walk with Christ. We want to make Christ our focus and our priority. We want to live a life that matters and makes a difference for God and for the kingdom, or for the kingdom of God. We want to make a difference. We want to live for Jesus. So that is ultimately why SALT exists, and I'm glad that you've chosen to be here and hope that you choose to really invest and dig in to this community. So tonight, being the first week of the new year, we're jumping into a new series going through the epistle of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Galatians chapter 1. We'll be just covering the first five verses tonight, which I'm quite excited about. If you've been around the last few months, we've, you know that we've been going through spiritual disciplines. And before that, there was times where, when we were going through Job over the summer, where we went through massive chunks of scripture. And there was even a little bit of that at times going through uh, the spiritual disciplines. So tonight, having just five verses is quite exciting for me. So I'm hoping we can really dig in to this together. But before we start reading, I just wanted to give a little bit of context behind this book. What is Galatians about? So this is one of the Pauline epistles. It was written by the Apostle Paul, likely around the year AD 50. And this is also likely the first book that Paul ever wrote to the church. And he's writing to the Christians in the region of Galatia, which is a little bit different than a lot of his other letters in that it's likely not being addressed to a specific church, but rather those in this, in this region. And so this is an area of around modern-day Turkey. And this was a group of people that he was primarily writing to that had come from, that had kind of migrated from modern-day France, the Gaul people. And these people were overtaken by the Romans, and so we get a little bit of different religious beliefs and challenges that come through some of that interaction, some of that mix of people and ideas. And so for the Galatians, when it comes to their Christian faith, Paul was one of the first missionaries 
who reached them with the gospel. So he was prominent in helping start some of the early churches in this region. But what had happened is after he left and moved on to plant other churches, is there was a bunch of false teachers who crept in and started infiltrating the church. And so we see that a lot of their beliefs were being tainted by these false gospels and other beliefs. And so Paul is writing this letter to help correct their understanding of the true gospel. And so this is really one of the main focuses of this letter is Paul just sharing the true unadulterated gospel message of Jesus and that it's not faith plus works, that it's grace by faith. That alone is what saves somebody. Works does not play into it at all. And so he's trying to help them see that there is a freedom from sin that we have in Christ and that it's faith alone by grace alone. So with that, let's jump into the beginning of this letter. Galatians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. We'll pause right there for just now. Right off the bat, Paul introduces himself as an apostle. And I just want to just take a few minutes to unpack what that actually means. This is a word or a title that is not to be lightly thrown around. It comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means a messenger or one who is sent with a commission. But it's not the same thing as a being a disciple, and I think it's important to distinguish that. Like, as Christians, we're all called to be disciples of Christ. We're called to be becoming more and more like Jesus. We are all called to be a learner or a student. That's what a disciple means. And to become more like him, to follow Jesus diligently. But it's not our call to also be apostles. They were called specifically by Jesus for a purpose. And so you and I, while we might be messengers of God in a certain sense, like we are his ambassadors, sharing the message with the world around us, and there is a certain element of power from the word of God that we proclaim, but we do not have an authority like the apostles did in the early church. This role was reserved specifically for the 12 and a few other select individuals in the early church. Now you'll notice in the New Testament that we have the 12 who are also apostles. And then you'll see the term also, or the title also given to a few others such as Barnabas, Timothy, Jude, and James, as well as a few others. These were all eyewitnesses of Jesus in his life and his resurrection and his ministry. Like he saw, they saw Jesus with their own eyes, as their own, they had a physical testimony of what Jesus did. And Jesus called them to be apostles. They were commissioned by him for a purpose. And part of why Paul begins this letter by just mentioning his apostleship 
is because some of these false teachers have, had crept in and were trying to undermine his authority. They were claiming that he was a self-appointed apostle and that his words did not have the same power or authority like the other 12. But what we see with this, this title of apostle is to reject them would be to reject the one who sent them. And so that would be Jesus in this case, since he was the one who sent and commissioned Paul, just as he did the other 12. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 20, also explain a little bit more of the role of the apostles. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This explains a little bit of the role of the apostles in the early church. They were there to be that corner or the, the foundation of the early church, the foundation of the teachings and the doctrines of the church. Jesus being the cornerstone and obviously the most important one, the one who it's all about. But the apostles were there to help be that foundation of the early church. They were there to write scripture and to help model what the church would be, to lay that foundation. In Jude verse three, it also says, describes this as the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is what the apostles helped to bring and to establish was that scripture that was delivered once and for all to the saints. And so part of what we see here is that scripture is complete and sufficient. Today, we don't long, no longer need apostles. Scripture is already complete and sufficient. And there's no such thing as apostles passing on that apostleship to another or commissioning another. The role of the apostles ceased when the last of those apostles died. And so today, however, there is a little bit of this term floating around. Some do claim that the office still exists or that in some way it has resurrected, but that is simply not true. If you hear somebody using the title of apostle, just know they are not from God. Consider them a heretic. They are not coming from God. They have not been commissioned by Jesus. One of the most well-known apostles of today is Bill Johnson of Bethel Church. Now, there are many others who also will go by this, this title, but just recognize that even though they come in sheep's clothing, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They are not commissioned by Jesus, even though on the outside, it might look like they were, it might look like they're from God, but they are not. The role of the apostles is finished and complete. But that said, Paul, again, mentions himself as an apostle. He's one who had this authority, speaking with the authority of God, helping to write this scripture and giving it to the early church. It's also worth just mentioning that when we talk about them writing the early scriptures, we mean 
that it was the Holy Spirit speaking through them, that it was inspired by God himself. These are not the words of Paul in like a human standpoint, but they are the words of God spoken through Paul, through the Holy Spirit. Not from men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Jesus is the one who commissioned Paul, not any other man. Verse 2. And all the brothers who are with me, just this little phrase here at the end of this verse, Paul is referring to that it wasn't just his idea even to speak to the church, but he recognized that there were others behind him who were also desiring for this church or these churches to receive this message. Now, again, we also know that it was part of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this letter to these group of believers. But this isn't just the ideas of Paul, but there are many behind what he is also saying. The churches are standing with him with this message, the true believers who are supporting him in it. And so that's part of what we see. He just, Paul and these other believers wanted them to address the error that was following, were falling in this, in this church, in these churches. So with that, I want to take us now into these last few verses. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here tonight. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you. These are the few words that I really want to focus on with the rest of our time here tonight. Now it's interesting that grace and peace to you, this is something that's a a very familiar intro in a lot of Paul's letters. He leads with this blessing in almost every single one of them. And what's interesting about this particular book, which I know we're gonna get there in the weeks ahead, This is about the end of kind of the more positive, like, Paul in this letter. He has a lot of rebuke and correction for this church, and he gets into it very quickly. Like, this is really like the one letter where he really doesn't have anything good or positive to say about this church. And a lot of that's just because of the nature of where this church had been going astray, because it had to do with the gospel itself. And so he very very quickly gets into that rebuke and that correction. But even before that, he still has this blessing for the church. And I think it's still significant. Like, obviously, part of what he is communicating here is his love and his desire for this church and these churches to be led by truth, that they would be led by the Spirit of God and not by the false teachers of their day. Like, he did truly love and care for this church. And so he begins with this blessing. But again, grace and peace to you. Why does he use these particular words? And we're going to dig into that a little bit more. Even in these few words, Paul is starting to address some of the false teaching that this church or these churches have 
had come under their, under their roof, some of the false ideas that have crept in. I've already alluded to it a little bit, but faith plus works was a big one. Grace and peace to you is clearly not works. Paul wants to begin with, with grace. What is grace? Grace is getting something good that you do not deserve. It is undeserved favor. The dictionary.com definition of the spiritual or the Christian definition is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. The free and unmerited favor of God. It's the key part of that definition I want us to grasp tonight. Free and unmerited favor of God. As humans, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We deserve nothing but God's just wrath. There are countless ways that we have sinned against God continually. The fact is that even just one seemingly small sin against this God would be enough to condemn us to an eternity in hell. And God would be just to just leave us there at that. That is what we truly deserve. For the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us has sinned greatly against this perfect and holy God. But God, as Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5 tells us, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The mercy of God is also explained here. It is the mercy of God that, that Jesus came to be our substitute, to take our sins on his behalf. We do not owe God anything for our sins because of the substitute that Jesus made for us. He has completely paid that debt that we owed because of our sin. It was an unpayable, insurmountable, infinite death. That infinite debt that we owed because of our sin, but it was paid in full by the blood of Jesus. That is the mercy of God. And the grace of God is not just that our sins have been taken away, but Christ's righteousness has been freely imputed to us by grace through faith. All we do is believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus and his sacrifice, and we receive the righteousness of Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our sins were imputed to Jesus. His righteousness is imputed to us. Grace is that we did nothing to deserve this salvation. We did nothing to contribute to this salvation. And yet by grace, through faith in Jesus, we can receive this salvation. We will even continue to sin as believers. 
And yet the grace of God is that no sin will bring condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we cannot outsin this grace. Charles Spurgeon in his book, All of Grace, which if you plan on reading just a few books this year, I would highly recommend this book being one of them. It is honestly probably my all-time favorite book, and it's also not very long. So if you hate reading, you can get through it. It's only like 100 pages, but I promise you it's worth like the five bucks or whatever it is on Amazon. All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. He says this, God, who sees through all deceptions, knows that there is no goodness whatever in us. He says that there is none righteous, no, not one. He knows that all our righteousness, all our righteousnesses, are as filthy rags. And therefore, the Lord Jesus did not come into the world to look after goodness and righteousness with him and to bestow it down upon persons who have none of them. He comes not because we are just, but to make us so. He justifieth the ungodly. Goes on to say that the salvation of God is for those who do not deserve it and have no preparation for it. There was nothing good in us, and yet the grace of God is that we can have salvation. Now, it bothers me sometimes when I hear somebody saying how, oh, so-and-so is a good person. You hear it all the time at, like, somebody's funeral. And, yeah, maybe that's not the time to say that person wasn't a good person. (laughs) But by God's definition, none of us are good. So please, don't call me a good person, please, for my own sake. None of us are good. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We might think we're okay because we're constantly comparing ourselves to those around us, but that's going to do nothing before a holy God. It doesn't matter how good you are compared to somebody else. You cannot fool God, and he sees all of our sins. So just recognize where you fall short. Let that just humbly lead you to the arms of the one who can save you. He's the only one who can make us righteous. There's nothing righteous about ourselves. You cannot earn it or do anything to add to it. It is by grace and grace alone. Charles Spurgeon later in that same book says, if you profess to deal with the the righteous Lord on law terms, thinking about trying to follow all the law, everlasting wrath threatens you, for that is what you deserve. Blessed be his name, he has not dealt with us after our sins, but now treats with us on terms of free grace and infinite compassion. And he says, I will receive you graciously and love you freely. This is exactly why Paul is talking about grace. If you rely on anything outside of grace, you will be condemned by the law. That is what the law has the power to bring, nothing but condemnation. Everlasting wrath, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, will find you. But if you accept the grace of the Lord, he will receive you graciously and love you freely. Grace is about salvation. Grace is what we all need. My encouragement for us tonight is to respond to this message. 
If you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you have not accepted this great grace, do it. Do it tonight. Accept this free gift that has been offered to you. You don't know how much time you have left. I can't help but just thinking about how, how close those of us who went on the Nepal trip came from having our bus go over the cliff when it got hit by a landslide. You know, I've never really before that had any thought of you know, not seeing past my 25th birthday. And yet there I was just a few inches away from not living to see 25. And then for those of you who, who follow football, Damar Hamlin suited up to play a game last night, just like he has hundreds and hundreds of times before. He goes and makes a tackle on a guy like he probably has thousands of times when you think about high school, college, and now as a pro. He goes to make this tackle, everything seems fine, but a few seconds later, he collapses. And even now as we speak, he's still fighting for his life. They don't, they don't know yet if he's going to make it. They had to do CPR for some five, 10 minutes on the field. And this is a guy who's in peak physical condition, 24 years old. There wouldn't have been a single thought in his mind that yesterday or today could have been his last day. And yet it's possible it is. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. Put your faith in Jesus while you have the opportunity. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, it's just that encouragement to live for him, to make him what your life is about, and to share that with those around you. And this also leads well into that next word that Paul, that, that Paul talks about here, grace and peace to you. What is significant about peace? When are you at the most peace? Can you have true peace when you do not have a right relationship with God? If things aren't right between you and God, can you have peace? Now, peace is the result of receiving grace. That is why Paul puts these two words together in the same sentence. We accept the grace of God and we receive peace. You can have peace with God because your relationship with him has been restored. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our justification, that is our salvation, brings peace. Jesus brings peace because of what he has accomplished for us. Ephesians 2 verses 14 through 16, For he, that is Jesus, himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the, Christ, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What these verses tell us is 
Again, the law brought condemnation, not peace. But Jesus has freed us from the obligation of the law. We are no longer bound by it. That's why when you, once you have accepted Christ, though you should not be living in a pattern of sin, if you do sin, like we all will and do, that does not bring condemnation. Christ has freed us from that. We are no longer bound by the entirety of the law. Christ has redeemed us from it. That brings peace into our lives and peace between us and God. Because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus has reconciled us to God. We can experience that peace now as well as in the future and as well as when we face God on the day of judgment. Paul wants the church to come around this truth. He wants them to recognize grace and peace. He wants them to live in the grace of God and to know the peace of God. But he knows that is only possible if they understand the true gospel, that their understanding must be corrected. And we'll get into that in the weeks ahead. But again, he looks even in verses four through five. I'll just reread reread verses three through five. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul points back to the sacrifice of Christ in verse 4. He knows how important that is for this issue of grace and peace. That again, it is salvation by grace through faith and not by works. It's completely sufficient what Jesus did on our behalf. Sin no longer reigns over a believer. We've been freed by the blood of Jesus. But we can also be encouraged that this is the will of God for us, that we be saved, that we come to him. No one is saved by accident. God saves us on purpose for a purpose, and that is to live for him and to live in his grace and peace. And we are to live for the praise of his glory, recognizing that we are called to bring him glory with our lives. That is our ultimate purpose in life, is to bring him glory. To live for him is completely about him. We want to walk in this grace and peace that Jesus has for us.